Welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up. Oh my God. <laughs> Who screws up the intro? Oh my God, what is wrong with my brain today? <laughs> I, I have just, I have been spending too much time in Ragnarok. I was going to say Sindri's Inn, <laughs> but I totally forgot how to talk about our inn. I don't know. I don't know. But anyways, I am your host of the Gamers Inn, Jocelyn, and joining me as always is my co-host, Ryan. Ryan, how are you doing this week? <laughs> Oh, we're keeping all that in. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can start over no, no. if you want. <laughs> it's totally fine. You're right. It's okay. This is the thing. Uh, for the last two weeks, since I've basically been feeling better, like right after God of War Ragnarok came out, literally all I've been doing is playing God of War Ragnarok. Any free moment I have to the point where I'm sorry to the Discord, I've I've kind of like only been checking in here and there and I missed a good chunk of content uh, in there. I'm all caught up now, but like literally just all I've been doing in my free time is playing Ragnarok and it's, and it's, it's um, I have finished it, but it's one of those experiences where I'm like, I'm just going to have to keep playing this as much as possible until I finish it so that I can kind of like not set it aside for good, but just, you know, set it down for a bit, you know, <laughs> maybe watch a TV show. Like you, <laughs> you said, I think that you had played something like 30 hours and I know Hat got his platinum trophy and he mm -hmm. said he played like 50 plus hours. And I was just like, oh, my God, it feels like I've been in there forever and I've only played like 12 hours. So <laughs> like I'm so far behind everybody. Well, I guess I'm probably closer to 15 hours now. But still, the point is, I feel like I'm just so far behind you guys. You went hard into yep. this game. <laughs> Yeah, I've been playing it a lot. I'm about uh, 38 hours now. Um, I don't think it's... Uh, I mean, like, I don't know. I don't think it's a spoiler to say, like, there is, like, a post-game similar to the first one. All big open-world games have, like, some sort of, like, now you can explore even though you're done, you know? And uh, um, that seems to be the design philosophy this generation yeah. and the previous generation of consoles as well. But um, yeah, I've just been, I've been, it's all I've been doing. And anytime Ashley walks into the, the living room, I'm just um, tearing, uh, you know, things, new ones uh, in the game. You know? <laughs> okay, so let's just say, so we are going to talk exclusively about God of War Ragnarok this week. Uh, we are not going to do heavy spoilers because I'm still, like I say, not finished the game. I'm about 15 hours in. Ryan is aware of where I am in God of War, so we will be doing some spoilers. We'll be talking about mostly like game mechanics and stuff. Um, so if you are thinking of playing God of War at some point and want to avoid spoilers completely, maybe we'll just see you next week. But um, for those of you who want to stick around, <laughs> then we are going to talk about God of War Ragnarok with some spoilers of the, the early game, the first 10 to 15 hours or so, and a lot of the mechanics and things. So um yeah the, now ryan we can just we've done the spoiler tag we can talk about whatever we want to talk about with ragnarok and the first thing i wanted to mention and just speaking of you every time ashley walks in you're tearing something a new one um is it just me or is it just way more gory than the first one like i feel i played them back to back and i don't remember ripping people in half <laughs> like even when i would do like my special finishing move and like stomp ahead or something like that was my special finishing move like but every single kill that he does is like slicing somebody's head off or slicing somebody in half or like it just seems way gorier than 2018 yeah no it is um i noticed that as well and 
you know, it's not uh, it's not like comically gory, uh, you know, like more yeah, like combat. It's not bad. It just it was just one of those things. There were quite a few things that were jarring playing them back to back because I literally finished God of War 2018 and half an hour later when my download finished went into Ragnarok. So like I had back to back experiences in these two games. And other than like the interface and the menus being really jarring, that was when the violence was something I noticed. And it, like, it doesn't bother me. I was just like, wow, I like just came off of the other game. And I mean, it wasn't tame, but like, I definitely never sliced anything in half. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not on every kill. <laughs> yeah, I think the, uh, the, the, the thing that sticks out to me from the first game in terms of the gore level was when you're fighting the the trolls and yeah, you kinda, and you put the axe through his face. Yeah, you put the axe through the face and then you bring down the giant stone onto their head. And that, yeah. that kill animation is in this one as well. Uh, the difference being is that, as you said, there's a lot more blood and then there's like a pool of blood on the ground <laughs> yeah. after you, you smash the head. And um, we're both playing on PlayStation Five, and and I don't, yeah. I don't think the gore differs between the platforms, and I don't think that was like the reason there's a bunch of gore now. But yeah, the, there's a there was a clear motive in in design here to kind of like, okay, let's yeah, there was a choice made. <laughs> yeah, let's make this more visceral, more um, tearing things apart, and yeah. Obviously, you are way further ahead than me having actually finished the main storyline, but um, whenever you have to kill those, like, wolves, when you, like, rip their bottom jaw off, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> no! <laughs> and that was that was in the first one, too, but again, uh, it just feels like they I took that animation it, but yeah. and ran with it. You know, uh, and, and just... maybe it's just the ability for the new console, because that is one thing I will say in Ragnarok is that they took every advantage of the PlayStation 5 and its processing power. There is so much stuff, but like in, a, I think, very good way, like the world feels full and not necessarily with people, which is also a criticism of 2018, is there just aren't a lot of other people around other than like enemies to kill. But like, um, but just stuff like there's vegetation and there's smoke and there's blowing snow and there are fireflies and, you know, there's blowing sand and just everything glitters. <laughs> So, mm -hmm. like, they are really taking advantage of the fact that they are on the PlayStation 5. And I do think it's a freaking gorgeous game, which I was a little bit worried about because some of the screenshots that they shared, like, it leading up to the release <laughs> were really bad. Really bad. There's one with Kratos with Ratatasker on his shoulder. And I'm just like... This looks like somebody's bad Photoshop job where they like or maybe like AI created art where they were like <laughs> old white dude with squirrel on shoulder on magic tree. <laughs> like That's a pretty good so prompt. Bad. Someone should uh, feed that in. <laughs> oh, my God. But yeah, so like I was I was really um, skeptical of how this game was going to look, but I have been proven wrong. Thankfully, um, it's it's gorgeous. Like I love all of the environments and there are not very many games that feature a desert environment that I'm like, Oh, this is actually really nice. And I want to spend time here. Yeah. It doesn't feel, I think 
And and here's the thing, like I think that Ragnarok does a really great job at taking the promise of visiting all nine realms, which was in the marketing, and and you look at God of War, the original one, one of the criticisms, or maybe not criticisms, but like one of the disappointments was like, we know there are nine realms, but there are story reasons for not visiting uh, a chunk of them. Yeah, there was at least three, if not four, that you couldn't go to, because you couldn't go to Asgard in the yeah. first one. You couldn't go to Freya's realm. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, Van, 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 Vanheim? Vanheim, yeah, and then there's... Yeah. Uh, Svartle, Svartleheim? The dwarf, the dwarf one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's, there's like, and, and when they add them in this game, they feel varied and they, and you feel rewarded for like, finally we can go to this realm and, and the first realm you visit, which is the, the realm of the dwarves, it's, um, right away you're like, oh man, this is so different and, mm-hmm. and it's nice to sort of explore this area and, um, and meet new characters like, you know, talking about how the first game didn't feel populated, like you kind of ran into your three or four allies and then everyone else was a bad guy. Yeah. Whereas in this one, you're running into neutral NPCs. You're getting story reasons for characters uh, or or NPCs leaving and they're not being people on the streets. Oh, my God. Honestly, that made me so mad. Because uh-huh. <laughs> that was one of the things is I was like, oh, my God, we're going to this like dwarven town. That's going to be amazing. We're going to see so many alarm sound. Oh, no, everyone's running to their houses. All the streets are empty. I was like, for fuck's sakes. <laughs> but you go into the bar and you 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 uh, you meet two people. So like yeah, you know. the two of the hundreds of dwarves that live there. No, I know. <laughs> You're, you're not wrong. a little bit nitpicky, but it was like funny to me because we had just talked about the first one and how there were so few like friendly faces in the game. And then as soon as you get to a part where like maybe there's going to be a higher population, I will say like there are a couple of moments that I've come across now where I've been in a town and all of the people haven't run away. <laughs> so the like there are like moments of population. <laughs> Which is yeah. good, but um, yeah, and that just made me that just really made me laugh that the first town you come across, everyone has to hide inside. <laughs> just like <laughs> that's some fucking bullshit right there. So, uh, but yeah, I think that um, they, I, I did enjoy going to the different realms and the reasons that we had to go there and and kind of having a little bit of that freedom and uh, that you didn't really feel like you had in the first game. Uh, And you're right, they all do feel very different. And I like the idea of Thimble Winter kind of um, impacting all the realms differently. Like, it's not just that everybody is in winter now. It's like it's winter in Midgard, but it's like super duper hot in Vanaheim. And like, it's basically amplifying the most extreme that already existed in that realm, you know, which I thought was a really cool concept. Yeah. Yeah. They do, uh, they do a good job of sort of applying Fimba winter to all the realms and, and, um, you feel the impact, uh, uh, across the board and, and sometimes it's, it's my, it's a minor impact or at least it doesn't like really, you know, block your progress, but there are other like Midgard's the most affected in the sense that like yeah. you spend a lot of time in Midgard in the first one. So it made sense both from a narrative standpoint and from a design standpoint to basically say, like, let's basically take Midgard off the table outside of. Yeah, you've been here. Let's go somewhere else. (laughs) Exactly. And it makes sense. You know, like it's all snowed over and 
Um, you do get the you do get some some gameplay there uh, later on in the game and and the first half as well. But like it's 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 a smaller area. There are still don't get me wrong. Like not all the realms are built out like Vanaheim. They are there are smaller ones. Um, but for the most part, like they they give you something to do in all the realms outside of just like checking in. Um, like I think early on you unlock, uh, Niflheim, which was the, um, the mist, uh, maze in the first yes. game. Yeah. The, the kind of roguelike gauntlet thing. Yeah. Yeah. So in this one, it's, it, they actually take, so Odin's Ravens that you're destroying in the first game. And in this game as well, um, they actually give you like a narrative, um, check in for those, those Ravens in Niflheim. Uh, but then, you know, you do visit the realm for other stuff as well. It's not just for like to have this big tree with a bunch of creepy ravens that you've been killing. Um, <laughs> there's other stuff to do too, but it, I thought it was a nice touch. Cause again, like killing the ravens in the first one was just a trophy and an annoying yeah. one. Cause if you couldn't find all the ravens, um, but in this one you're getting gear and you're getting a bit of story as well. So I, I really appreciated like all the narrative touches that they put across the game where if you're going into every corner, you're getting just inundated with text and Mimir talking, you know, <laughs> and giving you the commentary on on what's going on. He continues to be an absolute standout highlight for me, by the way. <laughs> and yeah, I know we talked yeah. about this a little bit last week um, and, and their kind of um, evolving relationship because they've, you know, been together through the winter for the last five years, you know, becoming super bros. And I really, really, really enjoy him and, and his story and his background with Odin. And they dive into that a lot. I did a lot of side quests that had to do with him. Um, and, and even like more so since I've been in Midgard too, like I did um, a whole thing, finding the backstory of one of the Valkyries. It was really cool. Mm -hmm. Um and uh, and yeah, like I, I think he's just like the the voice acting is great. The way they write him is great. And I will also say, I think that the writing in terms of the like characters dialogue in Ragnarok, I think is much, much better. I think it's a huge improvement over 2018. Um, I like there there aren't any characters I find particularly annoying. I think that they well, I mean, other than Atreus, but whatever. Uh, but but He's like not that bad. But yeah, I get his it. his his script like matches that annoying entitled asshole teenager right like so he's written very well even if i find him like i even though i just can't stand him like it's not because he's written poorly um i think they've done a really good job in terms of like writing the lines that the characters say now <laughs> that being said they 100% did my least favorite thing in all of media and all of storytelling, which is if the characters just freaking spoke to each other, then they, would, they wouldn't have a plot. <laughs> so they have like furthered the plot along by the father and son not speaking to each other when all they would have to say is like, hey, I know this thing. Hey, I know this thing. Okay, then let's make an actual solid plan instead of everybody running off on their own and getting in trouble. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. God, when that happened, I was like, are you kidding me? Ryan said there was none of this. No. <laughs> and I was just about to 
preemptively defend myself because it was it was a whole like there's no jump scares in this game followed yes! by jocelyn being scared by by every everything that just moves real quick in in a, in a horror game um okay you know you know we're not gonna go down no that's that fine we don't have again to, we can but talk there are things later. that are jump scares and it has a sound and a visual component and there are definitely jump scares in games where you said there were none yeah no you're right you're absolutely right um but in this case with with god of Ragnarok, i had not played far enough i think you were you were a little bit further ahead or Maybe we were well, around no, the same I think spot. I had just started, but you were only about 10 hours in. And the, uh, the plot point that I'm talking about, I think, happened right around that time. So, like, you probably logged off just before that happened. <laughs> yeah, and you're right. There, There is some very specific moments. And look, like, we all hate when that happens. We all hate when someone could just pick up the cell phone and call someone. And, and yeah. there is that in this game. But as you said, in terms of characters and, and them being well-written... Like Kratos reacting that way and Atreus as a teenager reacting that way. Like it fits the characters. Doesn't make it any less annoying. The dialogue is written well. The story arcs are not, in my opinion. <laughs> like, but it's because I hate that kind of writing. Sure. I, so, you know, like it really stands out to me. But like I said, the dialogue fits the characters very, very well. And there's this one point when you're in Asgard, which is another one of the realms that you actually get to visit. And Heimdall is talking to Atreus and basically like calls him an entitled little shit. And I was like, yes, Heimdall, you see him. I love this. And I know oh, we're man. supposed to hate you, but I love you right now. Like I am on your side. <laughs> it's it's kind of funny. Uh, and again, like even with the first God of War game, everything I know about sort of Norse mythology or at least reinforced lately has been from the MCU. And I feel like the most jarring comparison oh, is my Heimdall. God, yes. In the MCU. And then Heimdall in this game, it's like it's like they just tried yeah. their darndest to make him the biggest jerk you could ever have around. He talks to, he talks down to everybody, and he's just the complete opposite of Idris Elba's character yeah. in the MCU. Who is I mean, I don't know if he has like a large I I don't remember having a large role in the MCU, but but he's nice at least. Like yeah. in he, I, he has a decent role in the yeah. Thor in the Thor movies. Yeah. I guess he's, in Ragnarok he's, like, he's he's a bigger yeah. Yeah, um, I, I think Love and Thunder is kind of. <laughs> well, yeah, Love and Thunder. Well, he's dead by then, right? <laughs> no, he's de well. Yeah, he's dead by then. But I think that movie has kind of like overshadowed. Um, oh, <laughs> the maybe not so the bit better Thor movies. I don't know. Are there any good Thor movies? I don't know. It's it's hard to say at this point. Um, but like, yeah, you're right. Like they, that character is uh is a big jerk and um. Like, yeah, there are these moments where and that was a big thing for me. I had no idea going in. I knew there was going to be a focus on Atreus, but I had no idea you were going to get to play as him. That was a surprise for me. Like, and this happens early on in the game, you know, same. Yeah. Um. So and I think that, like, it's a good time to talk about mechanics because one thing that I noticed is they made the same choice that they did in the Horizon series, which is basically like as soon as you start up Ragnarok, you don't have the same problem that I had with 2018 where I felt like I got my Chaos Blades like two thirds of the way through the story and they were underpowered as a result because I'd spent all my resources like upgrading my axe because I thought that was going to be my only weapon and... 
um you know like you felt like you were getting this other kit without you know necessarily at that point i didn't really feel like i needed it um and it was really hard to kind of like find that combat balance in the first game but in the second game much like horizon you get your whole kit at the beginning and they're just like you don't lose anything you know, as as a result of the fact that we're the second game, like you don't have to relearn how to or you don't have to like find your blades again or anything like that. Like you've got your shield and your blades and your axe and you're ready to go. Let's go. Um, and I think that that made for a much more pleasurable combat experience on the Kratos side of things. And then they throw you into Atreus. And I thought it was going to be this like one-off like moment at first <laughs> where like it shifts to his like point of view and you get to play as him like i thought it was gonna be a novelty it turns out it's like half the game <laughs> like i, I don't want to play as him though like i don't want to be a little weenie archer when i could be the god of war <laughs> like uh, i don't know that was a that was a definite choice and from the team as well and i don't know if it works for me <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I uh, it's a it's a it's definitely a smaller portion of the game in terms of like gameplay and combat. Oh, is it? Because I feel like I go and do like one story beat or realm or whatever is Kratos, and then I do one as as him. And I feel like at least right now, it's pretty split fifty fifty. I really noticed the Atreus moments that like they take a long time. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and I was going to say, like, I felt like from a combat perspective, you're definitely, you know, doing more as Kratos than Atreus. But from a walking and talking and lore dump perspective, a lot of that is put on the shoulders of the gameplay sections for Atreus. Yes, um, and th that's true. Th like, I think that's where I felt like, you know, um, in the first game when they said like, Hey, if you want to explore, this would be a great time. Like that was basically telling you like, you're going to lock yourself into some story. You're going to be on rails for a bit and then you can kind of go back into the open world. And that yeah. worked really well when we were doing game club. Cause it, it gave us points to stop and, and, you know, move, move into the next sort of milestone. But in this one, it, you're right. Like once it gets into a pattern, you kind of know like, okay, something's going to happen here where Atreus is going to go off. And I think there's there, you're, there are more Kratos sections than Atreus sections, but like the way that it shifts back and forth, um, you are locked out of that open world and, and a good chunk of what, what you might've enjoyed from Kratos gameplay and God of War gameplay, because like you are in different areas that are crafted specifically for Atreus. You're not yeah. in, you're in the same open world, but like you're you're still sort of like you're in the closed open. <laughs> yeah. And and it's just, you know, you you are going to be able to go back to those areas as Kratos. But like when you are Atreus, there's a very like there's a path for you, you know, and you, yeah. you've got to follow it. And that like, again, if you don't enjoy that character and you join, don't enjoy the gameplay like, and it really just comes down to the story, um, it, it might not be your favorite parts well and that was the thing like i really enjoyed so there was one part in particular where you play as atreus and it's when he like falls asleep and he goes to this realm or part of jotunheim and it was really interesting from a lore perspective from like a finding out what's going on 
but oh my god was it slow there were some combat parts but it was like mostly walking around on a yak and i was just like okay <laughs> like this is really dragging on and like he was being a pretty good like audience what do you call him um not substitute surrogate surrogate yeah, yeah. um basically saying like can't you just tell me can't you just tell me like what's going on just tell me and the the character that he's with is just like all in good time or whatever the hell she says and why don't you just chill and help me collect fruit and i'm like I don't want to collect fruit. <laughs> like, just show me the prophecy and let me get on with my day. <laughs> so, I mean, that ended up going on for like two real time hours. And between not loving his combat and just like the the tr the drip feed of information that you got, I was just like, man, I don't want to be here anymore. Like, when do I get to go back and be Kratos? Because this is brutal. Um, and I do think that there are some real gems in those sections. Like there's the, there's a boss fight in that section that was really, really cool. And just getting to be in that. Uh, so Jotunheim obviously is the realm of the giants and there is a giant that still lives there and you get to go to the giant house and you're the size of a teacup and it's, it's awesome. <laughs> like it's living my greatest, like beanstalk fantasy but like <laughs> i don't know it's just like you have to wade through in my opinion you have to wade through a lot to get to the good stuff in the atreus sections yeah i mean that specific section when you're in jotunheim i think that they they want you to like soak in this uh this realm that no one has, no one has been able to visit it's been closed off for for centuries you know only only the giants that have lived there. And, and as you find in, at the end of the first game, they're all dead. Um, and, you know, you're right. You do get your answers, but it is very much like you, earned by collecting fruit on on this very, uh, very awesome yak. I, I didn't mind the section, but I will note like, yeah, it's it's a much longer section, especially when you're going from you need to tear through this arena as Kratos and kill a bunch of stuff. And, and then now you're you're learning about the giants slowly from from uh, I think her name is Agraboda. And and, you know, that section does cap off with like a more traditional uh, like gameplay loop of like trying to solve a problem as opposed to just mm -hmm. collecting stuff. But like, yeah, like that, the pacing is a little weird in sections of the game. And I feel like that that is totally worth noting is there's some pacing issues. But, you know, in my mind, like it it does eventually get back to what you love about God of War. And I think the story beats that are playing out in those areas really build up the, the overarching story. Cause again, like God of War Ragnarok is the story of Atreus and Kratos. Yeah. The first game is, is about, is about, is about Kratos and, and what, what, he, what he's doing and why he's there and, and, and whatnot. And slowly the game evolves into like, the world what's going on in the world and and this one's very much less about kratos and more about everything else that's going on during ragnarok i would say like it's not even necessarily less about kratos because like so one of the things that i've really enjoyed and and this kind of goes back to the writing of the dialogue a little bit more is i've really enjoyed 
now that Freya and Kratos have buried the I guess buried the axe <laughs> as it were and they're friends again and she's one of the companions because that's another mechanic I did want to talk about was like the changing of companions and like having different people with you so there's times when you're Atreus where you have one of the dwarves or you're Kratos and you're with Freya because Atreus has run away or whatever you know like you you kind of like have different companions running around with you and doing different stuff and I do kind of like that even though Freya is basically just a like Atreus stand-in <laughs> like she's also a ranged character and she shoots the arrows when you tell her to same as he does and she's got the same arrow powers that he does and you know they've copy pasted their bows at this point like I get that she's an Atreus stand-in because they needed to give those abilities to somebody and Kratos isn't about to carry around a bow um like I understand all of that but I do think it's still a good implementation of that kind of companion mechanic um, but I like the friendship between the two of them because I feel like I know him and his backstory a hundred times better than I did after the first game. Like one of my big complaints about 2018 was that it gave you these pieces of information that were too big to be Easter eggs, but too small to actually be some like context and explanation and some some lore and storytelling and world building. Um, it was this really weird in-between spot. And I feel like they've, again, done a much better job in Ragnarok where he's talking to, instead of like hiding things from his son, he's talking to his friend because he's got this like, this other character now that's been through a lot of the stuff he's been through. And now he's explaining like his motivations and what happened and how he grew up in Sparta. And like, I feel like I have so much more information about the God of war central character in Kratos than I ever did in 2018. So like, I really, really have enjoyed that a lot more is just getting some context about who my main character is. Yeah. Well, I, and it, I think that's a great point. Like they rely a lot less on the original trilogy or the original uh, uh, amount of games that came out uh, previous to God of War 2018. There aren't as many, um, uh, like, I think the first game in 2018 had a lot of, like, nods, references, and direct, like, continuations from those previous games. But this one is very much a continuation of God of War 2018. And as you say, whenever they do callbacks to... Kratos's time in Greece and as the god of war, he's explaining himself. It's based on a conversation that's had like a Mimir brings up a lot of, you know, oh, I, you know, uh, I remember this Greek tragedy. Do you did you ever see the play or something? And and there would be that conversation and it would it would have tidbits of things that happened um, mm -hmm. during his adventures. Like a specific one would be when you visit uh, the Norns uh, in this one. And then he talks about the time he visited the fates and time travel yeah. and all that. And, and time travel and murdered them or something. And Freya's just like, that is grossly irresponsible. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm glad somebody's saying that. <laughs> yeah, she's not wrong. And um, yeah. <laughs> it was probably also not one of the greatest uh, God of War games ever made. I think it was like, I think it was the prequel they made. It was like, we made three of them and we ended it on like a. We're not making any more. So how do we make another one? I know a prequel. <laughs> we'll go back in time. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe there's aliens. <laughs> I, there might have been. I don't know. I didn't play the PSP game, so you never know. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, no, there's like, again, like they just do a better job of of handling this character that has a lot of history. Um, 
and and they don't they they're, I don't think this game punishes you for not playing those original games. Obviously, you're going to want to play God of War 2018. This is a direct continuation. Yes, yeah. But you don't I don't feel like I'm missing anything now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I recognize and understand the character a whole lot more than I did in 2018. So like yeah. I said, I think the dialogue is a lot more it's a lot better written. Um, it's, it's a lot more relatable. It's, uh, more interesting. Like I just, um, I I really think that they did a good job in Ragnarok, um, to kind of, again, expand those friendships and then kind of by extension, expand the conversations had by those friends. So, um, but yeah, like, I don't want to go like too, too far down, like the story route, because we are going to do a full, once I finish the game, God of War Ragnarok spoiler inside the game episode, um, probably sometime in the next couple of weeks. So I don't want to go too far down the spoiler like story side of things, but um, just mostly wanted to touch on mechanics because I do feel like there are a couple more systems in this game. And other than the swap between characters and, and going from a melee character to a ranged character without a choice, I do think that uh, mechanically this game feels pretty good, but it still has that same freaking problem of me not knowing what buttons to push. It's like they tell you one time at the beginning in the tutorial and then you can't find it anywhere else. And I have looked. <laughs> yeah, the, the skills section will give you like the combos and, and, and stuff, but there are there's got to be like a well, I don't know uh, if there's like a controller layout page there is and i so i've looked at the controller layout and i have looked at like um because sometimes like your gear will give you stuff yeah and so like i go and look at the piece of gear and it's like this enables you to do an area of effect attack against everybody around you but then it doesn't tell you what button to push to do the area of effect attack and then when you go and look at the controller layout there's nothing there either and i'm just like i know that they taught me at some point, how to do a heavy runic attack. But do you think I can find the keybind listed anywhere? No. Yep. <laughs> and it's, it's so freaking frustrating because I don't want to have to Google it. <laughs> like, it should just be in the text of whatever thing it is that's giving you the power. It should just say, press A to do X. <laughs> or uh, I shouldn't say to do X because that's confusing. No, because it's every controller X to do has an A, X. Jocelyn. Come yeah, on. It's, it's PlayStation. Sorry, sorry. This is not Nintendo. Oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, uh, like, you know what I'm saying though? Like, it should be like press picture of button to do effect. <laughs> and you're right. they don't do, they do it sometimes. Yeah. Like you say in the skills page, when you unlock like a, a combo or something, it'll tell you press R1 18 times and then press R2 to cut your enemy's head off. They'll tell you that. But um, there's a lot of places where you unlock new stuff and they don't tell you how to do it. And I'm just like, man, you could put it anywhere. Just put it somewhere that isn't just the first 20 minutes of the game because there is so much in this game like they are complicated you have now skill trees for not just kratos but also atreus and atreus's stuff isn't passive because you're actually playing as him and then you have freya's stuff as well you have all of those gear sets to to um kind of to manage as well you've got like amulets that have a whole bunch of different slots that give new powers and do new things like there is a lot mechanically to keep track of in this game and I feel like I just end up button mashing in the end. Although, like, 
One final thing I did want to kind of ask you about, because I definitely chose a different difficulty level this time. And with all of their accessibility features, I wonder if the difficulty is like even more fine and like granular and stuff than than kind of wider strokes of just like more boss health and more boss um, like attack or whatever. Um, but my companions generally show me the way my like they'll they'll look and point at solutions of puzzles. Yeah. Uh, they yell at me when I forget to use my shield, which they definitely <laughs> did not do in the first game, which, again, I played on the hardest difficulty in the first game, and I'm playing on, like, story difficulty in this game just so I can catch up to you fuckers. But <laughs> I, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I'm playing on, like, the story difficulty, and I feel like they're, like, yelling at me when I don't use my shield. They're like, why do you have a shield if you're not going to use it? I'm like, shut up, Amir! I'll sit on you! <laughs> so, like, I mean, they're, they're telling me what to do in combat they're pointing out solutions to puzzles or traversal or whatever and they're kind of like they'll go and run and stand to like the door i'm supposed to go to next which is kind of helpful if i'm looking for secrets because then i just run away from my friends but <laughs> like i don't remember them hand holding as much and i wasn't sure if that was like my difficulty setting uh no i i think it's i think it's the playstation design handbook when it comes to designing these large single player campaign games like horizon there were articles all about horizon uh forbidden west having like oh you know people talk too much and and you know <laughs> god of war ragnarok has that as well like my favorite line um and i and i think just that it comes down to the writing like it's not as annoying i never found it annoying in forbidden it takes a lot to annoy me but uh, and I like I, was I like say, I didn't think I never got oh, well, obviously I never got annoyed in Forbidden West, but I also haven't really gotten annoyed no. in Ragnarok. I just noticed that they're pointing out answers to me. Yeah. Way more than 2018. Yes. So I think I, I think it comes down to the design that they put in here. There's a lot of like there's a lot of extra dialogue like mirror. My favorite one is uh, Mimir will say like, Kratos, you're on fire, but you already knew that it'll pass. And it's, and it's like, yes, I know I'm on fire. It's, it's nice flavor dialogue to sort of have in the background. The shield comes up a lot. Um, I love the dialogue and some people, some people might find this annoying, but I love the dialogue. Anytime I like veer off in another direction. And I think I was, we were running around with tear and Alfheim and, and, um, Tears like, where are you going, Kratos? It's this way. And then I Kratos doesn't say anything. Atreus just, yeah, my dad really likes loot. And he's like, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that yeah, makes that sense. was a really good line. And and again, that like it comes down to this it, like the dialogue kind of um pushing you forward, you know, but but also like not 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 punishing you for for going in a different direction, but having like some fun with it, you know? Um, but yeah, there's a lot more, you know, uh, dialogue and dynamic, uh, positioning of characters to kind of like point you in the right direction. And I think it comes down to, they just, they want the pace to keep moving in those specific sections of the game. Um, okay. Yeah. Cause I've also had a couple of spots where I've gotten, like, I wouldn't necessarily categorize it as stuck because like I try one or two things or I look one or two places and it's not quite right or whatever and then like one of the people that i'm with whether it's freya or mamir whatever will say hey have you tried looking up to the left <laughs> <And> <laughs> i'm just like okay i get it okay i was gonna look there next like 
come on now. And I thought maybe it was my difficulty setting. So it's kind of good to know that like, regardless, um, that's the, the kind of like level of help that the, that the characters give. And I mean, I guess you could ignore it. You could probably turn down dialogue or something, but anyways, um, yeah, it's really interesting and, and good to know. Cause I was thinking of upping my difficulty so that I could, you know, not feel like it, my hand was being held quite as much. Um, but yeah, it, they're not like, they're not doing the game for me at all and they definitely let you have a few shots at things before they you know pipe in but uh the other thing like i've come across a couple of fights which are um beyond my abilities at this point in time <laughs> and uh they it's so funny because like the tool tips when you die feel like they almost get like passive aggressive <laughs> start to be like instead they're like maybe you should go buy a health stone <laughs> have you tried upgrading your gear i'm just like leave me alone tooltips why you gotta be so mean and then like eventually because i think i died like 10 times in a row to like i found like the sword hill a sword hilt and i stuck it in a gravestone and it spawns like a super boss yeah those are the valkyries of the of this game basically yeah, and and it was way like I think I got her down to like half health and was the best that I did. And uh yeah, like at one point it was just like uh something along the lines of like you should come back later. <laughs> like just this is near it's not going to happen. Just go away. Do something else. <laughs> and then like it gave me the the um the tooltip about going to uh to do side quests <laughs> to get better gear. <laughs> and then come back and trying to face harder foes. And I was just like, okay, I get it. I get the hints game. I am not ready for this fight. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, and that's a really good point. Like the game will tell you that, but the game's not wrong, right? Like I had those moments too. I kept doing that fight just out of spite and I, I never did finish it. I got down, I got her down to like 30% and like, I was just like, Oh my God, this is so difficult. And I finally gave up, but I gave it another good 15 to 20 tries just to spite the tool tips. <laughs> yeah. Take that randomly take generated. That tips. <laughs> yeah. No, you, you do have to walk away from certain fights. Like I think the, the realm tears, uh the the berserker gravestones like you're gonna come across them in your normal gameplay some you'll be able to to fight off others you will need to come back once you've unlocked um it was the same way in the first one too i remember yeah. going into realm tears and like sticking my hand in and then being like i regret everything <laughs> <laughs> so i mean it is very much like that's kind of the the open world experience right is that sense of discovery and it always feels good when you like pull out someone who's like purple and then you go and upgrade your gear and you pull them out of the realm tear again and then they're you know green or whatever and you're just like ha ha I did it <laughs> so yeah. yeah I mean there there's a definite sense of progress which I like so I mean yeah like I'm overall I think it does a lot of things that the first game did right i think carry over and i think they've improved uh not everything but they've improved a lot of things that i didn't like about the first game so i'm i am enjoying ragnarok i think it's my favorite of the two we'll we'll see what happens once i actually finish the story because you guys know like I'm, I'm a big sucker for story and if i don't like a story then you know no mechanic in the world is going to you know fix a bad story for me but 
Um, yeah, I think that uh, the story seems really interesting. The combat, for the most part, outside of the Atreus bits, I'm really enjoying. And so, like, I think overall, this is a better game. And I'm really looking forward to to kind of wrapping it up over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. No, I um, I'm enjoying. I well, I I'd say I'm enjoying it, but I I I've I've finished the the main story, and I and I have really enjoyed my experience with the game. It shouldn't surprise anyone. I really enjoyed the first one too. Um, I don't find I, I look. I'll admit, Atreus can be annoying. I don't find him as annoying as Jocelyn does. Uh, he <laughs> he has like one big moment in the first game that is like super duper annoying. Um, but in this one, I feel like there is. There's, there's, it's less concentrated and more spread out. The annoyingness is <laughs> yeah, kind of Is that out. a good or a bad thing though? It like... really depends on how much you hate Atreus. And, yeah. Right? And I, I like Atreus. I like Kratos. Uh, I like all the characters in this game. Right? Except for Heimdall. everyone. <laughs> I do. Except for Heimdall. I don't like Heimdall. Um, we can, and Odin. Odin's uh, uh, like, Odin sucks too. But um, everyone else is. I guess fine. So there you go. Uh, but yeah, I I enjoy <laughs> the game. Congratulations, characters. Ryan thinks you're fine. <laughs> yeah, Kratos is great, but I I really enjoyed my time with it. And like I said, it's not very often I will like soak in a game and until it's done, you know. And uh, I was I even was coming to the conclusion like I never finished Xenoblade Chronicles three, and I really love that game, and I never finished it. I think I got right up to the end. Even to the point where I'm questioning, <laughs> did I finish that game? Wow. <laughs> Pretty sure I didn't. Uh, but that's the reason with God of War Ragnarok. Also, the fact that God of War Ragnarok is a 40-hour game, not a 80-hour JRPG. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I knew I'd like, okay, it's I got it. big, but it's still manageable. Exactly. So I knew I needed to like really focus on it. And, and even when I finished it, I knew there was going to be stuff post game that I was going to continue to focus on. So even if we take a couple weeks, are you going to be trying to platinum then? I, you know, like uh, here's the thing about the platinum and kudos to hat for, for getting the platinum and everyone else who's trying to go for the platinum, but like finding all the collectibles, all the, mm. I think you have to find all the books, all the artifacts. Um, that's that's a lot of running around. I, I might use a guide for it, just but it would just be it, at that point, it'd be like strictly to get the platinum, right? Like, I don't. Yeah, I there is other stuff I need and want to do that will get me trophies, uh, but will also is basically more combat. Like I have like, I think more trials to do uh, and maybe some some uh, some boss fights as well that are left over. So yeah, that's what I'm chipping away at over the next couple of weeks. But yeah, like it just, yeah, it's so satisfying. And as you said, like at the beginning of the game as Kratos, you get, you get the, the core weapons that you have in, in the first game, they do reset your armor and your, your ruins and, and they put all the enhancements into this amulet that you get further on. So I found that to be a bit more, at first, it's like, oh, this is a really good idea. Like they kind of take all the enhancements that were on that you could add to all of your armor, and then just put it into one piece of equipment. But then there's like a lot of enhancements <laughs> that you can put yeah. into that amulet. So it, it there is there is overwhelming portions to the gameplay. But um, I found like I just kind of like I poked at it and found what worked, and and I've really been been enjoying that. But my favorite line in terms of like this is a sequel to a game where you collected a bunch of stuff was when you're building stuff with Sindri and Brock 
uh, you're building armor. And Sindri says, like, what happened to all the armor I built you last time? And Kratos just says, I used it. And Sindri's like, oh. And I was like, that is the greatest explanation for why I have none of my armor anymore. I used it. Like, that's what Samus should say at the start of every game. It's like, what happened to the your Powerball? I used it. It's like, oh, <laughs> Powerball, Morph Ball, sorry. But uh, I'm sure there is like a Powerball move as well. But anyways, it's just, it's such a great explanation of like, why are we collecting armor, armor starting again. at level yeah. one again? <laughs> and um, yeah, there's just, there's so much to love about the game. And, and I look forward to being able to talk about the story completely without worrying about about all the all the spoilers and stuff so i look forward to doing yeah because I, I think there are definite things to discuss <laughs> on the story side of things so yeah. yeah we'll get into that in a couple of weeks um and uh yeah we will let you guys know when we're gonna do our full spoiler sode and uh spoiler for the spoiler sode i'm pretty sure we're gonna have a guest for that week so uh yeah you guys uh, i'm sure that you will love it he's never been on the show before but he is a podcaster extraordinaire so uh tzt's announcement of an announcement um so before we get into the news this week wanted to say a very special thank you to our patrons thank you guys so much for supporting us over at patreon.com slash the gamers in like soldier hawk did who is our patron of the month for november again if you do like what ryan and i do please do go over to patreon.com slash the gamers in also we wanted to remind you guys that you can donate to extra life all the way until december 31st by going to bit.ly slash tgi extra life 2022 um we have more events that are going to be coming in the next couple of weeks and uh, definitely having a holiday party on december 16th which is a friday starting at 8 p.m eastern so um i'm going to be doing some streaming stuff but we are also going to be doing some uh i think I'm going to be trying to stream at least the first three weeks of December, either on Friday or Saturday, or maybe both. Um, we, I think, are still pretty far away from our personal goals as well as our team goals. So I want to try to get the visibility up. But uh, if you guys can, even if you can't donate, if you can just share uh, the stream, share the donation link, you know, um, kind of do your part to boost the, boost the signal. It would be very much appreciated. Again, our team link is bit.ly slash TGI Extra Life 2022, which does bring us to the news this week. Um, Netflix is developing a big, big budget PC game, uh, which is kind of interesting because I always thought Netflix was going to stay in like the mobile slash like choose your own adventure movie game type space. I never thought that they would go into big budget PC gaming. Yeah, well, I think that it's a it's a move that if you look at what they've done in the past where they started with licensing other content, then building their own TV shows, then building major multi-million dollar movies that would rival what you would see in the theaters from traditional movie companies. Like, I think it's similar to that. And like, they start with mobile, they're acquiring companies and for them to move into building like basically a triple a, you know, PC game or, or console type experience, it comes down to like, they want, they have, they have their own IPs that they can then turn into big Netflix games that then, again bring people back to their service and and watch their content so like i think if they're they're getting into the games arena like it makes sense to eventually move over and focus on a bigger title but Mm -hmm. like it is a bigger risk of course to uh, yeah 
to build a a large AAA game that's going to sell for eighty dollars. Um, what IP? Like, I mean, what IP well, would you do? Well, if it's even but... going to, yeah, like if it's even going to be an eighty dollar game, like a AAA PC game is like this is based on just job postings, right? Yeah. Or recent Netflix job postings that mention um the uh, Unreal Engine and stuff. So, I mean, there is a chance and I would think like I personally am probably never going to pay Netflix $80 for a game, but I might play a Netflix game if it was available through my Netflix subscription like I play stuff on Game Pass, like I think I would really balk at giving Netflix any more of my money. But if even if they came out with like a Netflix gaming subscription and it was like five or ten bucks a month or something like that, that's something I might try to check out. Have you actually ever played any of Netflix's like mobile titles, mobile offerings? Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, So, I mean, the idea here, I think, would be that it would be added to their subscription. Like the games they offer are part of... um, at no extra cost and and mm-hmm. the way it works basically is like you weirdly it works quite well honestly but you weirdly download like the netflix version of the game uh and in most cases like it is the only version of the game on on the app store i'm specifically talking ios here i, I don't have experience on android but essentially you download the game it's free and then the only way you can actually play it is by logging into your netflix account okay. um but that being said i did find that once i logged into one app it kind of unlocked all the other ones that i had downloaded um oh so it kind of like knows who you are across apps yeah like i don't know if it was like you know tying into the netflix app that i have on the phone or if it was just tying in on the first login like i'm sure there's like a session or whatever that they can save and access um but like yeah it it kind of just it kind of worked really well because again you hit the login button it opens the netflix app it says hey you have an active subscription kicks you back to the game like it works the discoverability isn't great um i think it's like it's not even present on the first screen when you when you load up the netflix app but i mean right now it is all an experiment that they're working on right now and i think that the next phase is to start building games in house and and of course like moving outside of mobile and seeing what you can do with a with with a triple a AAA experience like on on pc or console but um for the most part, their mobile offerings have been licensed content similar to what they did when Netflix first started before they had original yeah. programming. So, yeah, so it kind of makes sense. It's it's the natural kind of evolution of of Netflix and how it deals in entertainment. So, I mean, if they can pull it off and if they can make a PC game that's like original content that's as good as some of their, you know, even the early original offerings like um Hemlock Grove and Orange is the New Black and oh I'm trying to think there was another one that came out I feel like there was like those three right at the beginning and I can't remember what the other one was but there was some other like when Netflix had like three shows that were their own thing (laughs) yeah it was House of Cards but House of Cards that's it that's it that's it um yeah like those were really good shows and i think that if they can do like if they can replicate that in the gaming space um then we're we're in for for some really great experiences so we'll have to see but i mean like we said it's from job postings which means it's really far out like this isn't even officially announced or anything like that so 
Um, yeah, we will keep you guys up to date uh, on that as it develops. I'm sure we'll probably hear something in the next year or so. Usually by the time they're putting out public um, job offerings, they're they're pretty or job postings. They're they're getting pretty close to an announcement of sorts. So we'll let you guys know when that officially happens. Um, also coming out of some of the talks around Microsoft's acquisition of Activision, um, we're getting the news or at least like heavily hinted at that Sony doesn't expect the PlayStation 6 before 2027. So uh, this is all part of like uh, testimony around, uh, I guess, to the FC FTC around Microsoft's acquisition. And one of the things that they mentioned had to do with um, the next PlayStation release or that they were worried they were going to lose COD before the next PlayStation release. And they threw the 2027 date out there, which the PlayStation 4 came out in 2013 and then the PlayStation 5 came out in 2020. So, I mean, it's very much just like they might be on a seven-year console cycle. Like, this this timing makes sense as an estimate, even if you're not a Sony insider, right? Like, <laughs> this this number didn't blow me away. No, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's in line with the way generations have been working since they started to introduce, like, the half-step console to kind of, like, yeah. you know, Bridge squeeze a gap. couple more years out. Um, the idea being here, like, the whole argument is that Sony is saying, well, if we lose Call of Duty... Uh, before our next console comes out, people will switch, you know, because um, there is like a large group of folks that are buying Call of Duty on their preferred platform, which may be the PlayStation. Call of Duty is also on the Xbox. But um, if it's solely available on Xbox and PC, folks that really want to play Call of Duty might decide against buying a PlayStation 6. And and I think that's their argument. Yeah. But like, I feel like I can't honestly say if it's a solid argument. I don't play Call of Duty, but if you were to tell me like oh. um, you can only play Halo on, well, I guess you can only, that's a bad, you can only play Halo on <laughs> Xbox or PC. I'm trying to think of like another example of a third party game that I would like switch consoles for. Like I, I, I'm drawing a blank on, on third party uh, type stuff. Like maybe Mass Effect, if Mass Effect became exclusive to Xbox, I would I would I would pick up an Xbox, you know, I would play it on there. Um, but yeah, well, yeah like, and I think yeah. the thing is, like, we're not the target audience for this argument because we own all the consoles. Right. True. And we own PCs like we are the definition of cross platform gamers. So like we're not necessarily going to see Sony's side of this because and we're also not Call of Duty players. So, you know. Um, I think that like, it's going to be hard for us to maybe potentially empathize in this situation. I think that, um, if all you play is call of duty and there are people that that is all that they play, then you're going to go wherever call of duty goes. So I can kind of see this argument, but where it falls a little bit flat for me is that basically Microsoft has said, we're not going to do that. We're going to put call of duty on PlayStation as long as there's PlayStation. Like, yeah. why would we split our player base? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And yes, you could say to sell hardware. And I do think that, like, we have this conversation every generation around specifically which one we're going to buy first, because <laughs> we always end up getting them all anyways. But um, we usually have this conversation around what are we going to buy first? And it always, always, always comes down to exclusives. So I understand where Sony's coming from in that way is that this is another exclusive for Microsoft and 
it's a big established audience, right? That could potentially eat into some of their clientele. But then the like, I look at that argument and go, but isn't that just competition? Because Sony, you're the big guy on the playground right now. And Microsoft is third. They're not even second. So, I mean, like, I, I mean, you go acquire or make something that is just as good that's going to keep people. Like, isn't that if, if Microsoft gets better, isn't competition you getting better as a result of that? You know what I mean? Like, compete, Sony. Yeah, well, <laughs> like, the struggle here is for me is like, th- there are plenty of examples of Sony doing a similar move where they pay for console exclusivity for a certain window and it makes it a little bit better because it's guaranteed to come to your platform to your to your other platform eventually um but like you look at final fantasy uh final fantasy 7 remake um hasn't even been announced for xbox but you know it's an exclusive console to the playstation platform and and uh and the next one the follow-up to remake is also exclusive like because they paid for it they paid for that exclusivity so you know, it's um, everyone. Well, Sony does it. Microsoft does it. I don't think Nintendo cares. They don't do it. <laughs> you yeah, know, they're, as much. they're in their own little bubble. <laughs> they, they do. I think the one example with Nintendo would be Bayonetta. And that's just but that game wouldn't exist without Nintendo footing the bill like that. There are interviews out there like, yeah, Bayonetta 2 would not have happened if Nintendo didn't say, let's make it on the Wii U. Um, but yeah, like like I understand where PlayStation's coming from, but at the end of the day, they're guilty of this as well. They pay for exclusivity, and it's kind of weird to see them, uh, you know, legally speaking, complaining like this. Um, and I get it, Call of Duty's big. There's really not a lot of comparison there. Like, it's hard to compare Final Fantasy 16, which is going to be a PlayStation console exclusive, to the next Call of Duty that comes out yearly and generates a billion dollars. I don't know how much it did, right? But it, it, there's lots of money involved. Um, and I also see Microsoft's side, like they're saying, like, you know, they're they're saying it'll always be on PlayStation. And then there's some, like, there's also, like, legal rumors of, like, well, we, we offered a contract for 10 years. Like, it makes sense that, you know, legally binding, like, they're not going to say it, it'll be there forever because it's, you can't guarantee that. But like saying a contract like, hey, we'll we'll guarantee 10 years and then we can have another conversation in a decade. I think like I don't think Call of Duty is going to make or break this deal, but it's certainly made for like a lot of loud complaining from from, I think, both sides. And my favorite argument that I saw on Twitter from PlayStation was saying like Microsoft is trying to turn us into Nintendo where we can no longer compete on the, you know, 18 plus first person shooter market you know and and i just thought like well yeah you're right like nintendo doesn't have those games but nintendo is like one of the most profitable video game companies around so well so i did while you were talking i looked it up just out of curiosity and apparently in 2020 call of duty earned 1.95 billion dollars there you go so yeah so almost two billion (laughs) dollars in 2020 yeah. Uh, and apparently, uh, Warzone made Activision $5.2 million a day, over $3,600 a minute. Yeah, I don't think Microsoft is going to take the PlayStation platform out of the equation 
to sell more Xboxes. I don't think they Yeah. Need. I don't think that that works out in their favor. <laughs> no. And and I get it like from a business perspective, like Sony's worried. Clearly they're worried. They don't want this deal to go through. Their reasoning might not make sense, especially since they did just buy like a major first person shooter developer in Bungie. Yeah. And that went through no problem. Um but like there's there's a lot of stuff going on like um obviously in the UK there's been a, the investigations have been ongoing, but just today, like right before we recorded, there was a story out of Politico that, you know, the the FTC is thinking of putting a lawsuit forward to like an antitrust lawsuit to to investigate the similarly, but in the U.S. market. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, obviously, Microsoft keeps saying, like Phil Spencer says, we feel strongly about the deal. We feel it'll go through this stuff that's happening is just part of paying $69 billion for a very large video game publisher. Um, I think it's important that these conversations happen. It's kind of funny to read some of the reasoning and stuff, but like, yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, it, it, it has to happen, right? Like they have to have these conversations, they have to have the conversations for sure. Absolutely. And I, and I know that like we've had, we've talked about this too, because like we tend to talk about the the gaming in a silo of like, you know, Xbox and PlayStation as smaller parts of Microsoft and Sony. But I think like just the fact that Microsoft owns Windows means that, you know, like that moves the gaming conversation a little bit for them. Like Sony doesn't have an equivalent platform to Windows, right? Like there's no Sony doors that your computers run on. So, I mean, like I get that you need to look at these deals and really think about the, the wider ramifications for, you know, the competitive market and everything else. And I'm glad that they're scrutinizing the deal and not just letting big tech do whatever big tech is going to do. Um, but sometimes like, it just seems so freaking ridiculous. Like, (laughs) I mean, like (laughs) reading some of these articles, it's like, Sony said this thing and then Google agreed and then but uh, Google is being sued for the same thing by Epic and it's just like oh my god can you guys just stop swinging your money around for a second like this is getting ridiculous and no one can keep track of what side of what you're on because it changes depending on what lawsuit we're talking about so I mean as when we always have these conversations like we are not lawyers we are not antitrust people we do not know all the ins and outs of this shit like we play video games and then tell you if if we like depictions of teenagers with bows or not <laughs> like I, I do not like know the ins and outs of how the ftc works <laughs> so if you do want more information we will have links in our show notes but uh yeah it just sometimes with some of these big companies and these dollar amounts and everything else like my eyes just start to glaze over because it's just like man oh man <sighs> so much work to have that much money (laughs) although i'll still take it if microsoft wants to throw me 69 billion dollars i'll take it i'll do the taxes (laughs) fine (laughs) well you'll be able to hire i'll do do all the the paperwork paperwork. yeah (laughs) exactly with 69 billion yeah i think i can find a man a person to do it (laughs) yeah it just it feels like these arguments going back and forth from both companies it just feels like a Twitter war of some kind, you know, like yeah. <laughs> they've spent too much time in their at replies of like Xbox best, Sony worst type thing. Yeah. And I love that Nintendo just is like, they just don't care. Like yeah. Nintendo actually has a lot to gain from this deal because Phil Spencer's out there like, we want to put Call of Duty on the Switch and we have the resources to give to Activision to say like, hey, make it happen. And yeah. 
it's just so funny that Nintendo's like just sitting there like, yep, you guys figure it out. Throw 70 billion at that problem and uh, and Sony can complain. I, I mean, I get it. Like I say complain, but like it feels like complaints, but it's it's their reasoning. They see this. They want to they clearly want to stop the deal or, or well, whatever. Yeah, like and I think for me and again, not knowing a whole lot about how all of this works. But for me, what I really struggle with is the person at the top telling the people at the bottom what they can and can't do and that they're going to create, you know, a, a monopoly or whatever. And somehow that's going to harm the bottom line for the people who are already winning. It's like, but that's the point is they're trying to compete and work their way up. Isn't that the whole point of capitalism is you try to put yourself in a better position versus your competition? Like, I don't know. It just to me, I think if if the situation was reversed and Sony was trying to buy Activision and Microsoft was the one saying, hey, now that to me would make a whole lot more sense because then you're widening the gap between first and third. I think the whole point of competition is to close the gap between first and third, right? Like mm -hmm. this, this to me seems like a good thing, but again, I'm not an economist. I am not a lawyer. Maybe it's a bad thing. I would like people to tell me, <laughs> like feel free to join the discord bit.ly slash TGI discord and, and let us know all of the ins and outs of this stuff, because honestly, I don't understand it. But I think from a layman's point of view, these arguments would feel a lot more reasonable to me if it was third arguing that first shouldn't do a big takeover as opposed to the other way around. So, um, but yeah, I'm sure like these are all developing stories. The Activision deal isn't supposed to be closed um, until the spring. So we still have uh, quite a few more months of all of this investigation and, and everything else. So I'm sure we'll have many, many more stories in the coming months as the deal comes closer and closer to fruition. But that is going to do us do it for us <laughs> this week <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening to the gamers in you can follow us on twitter you can find me jocelyn at joss plays ryan is at our murphy and don't forget to follow the show at the gamers in thanks for staying at the gamers and remember tune in next week bye everybody bye everyone <laughs>